0: We are going to continue in our parable series, and I'm thankful for opportunities to look at Jesus' words, especially this parable in particular during this season that we seem to be walking in as a church. Um, Jesus' presence in the world really would have confused a lot of people closest to Him when He was walking the earth. And I'm not just talking about the religious leaders uh, of the day, but even His own disciples would have been confused by His presence. When Jesus proclaimed the news of the Kingdom of God, the the people would have rejoiced because there would have been these thoughts of what was coming to their mind when Jesus would say, the Kingdom of God, the promises of God, the rule of God. And for them, as the people of Israel, having been living under uh, oppression, or uh, foreign rulers and um, being squashed under the thumb of, of whether it be the Greeks, the Persians, the Romans, they would have thought, well Jesus is announcing the kingdom, then it's going to be our time to shine, power, conquering, returning to dominance. Yet Jesus would tell these stories about the kingdom that pointed to like vineyards, gardens, weeds, harvests, and So you could see how the people would get a little frustrated at Jesus' words about the kingdom. Does he even know what a kingdom means, right? He talks about a kingdom, but he lives like he's a servant. He speaks about power, yet he identifies with the weak. He preaches about God's rule, yet he speaks of his own death. How, How is that going to be powerful? How is that kingdom going to rule? How is this guy gonna get anything done? telling stories about gardens. And I know that just as in Jesus' day, stories of power and of good and of hope would have been met with cynicism from people who were experiencing the opposite of those things. But where did Jesus go? He went to those people. Those who were cynical towards religion, those who were cynical toward God's presence, those who were cynical towards God being with them, Jesus went to and He healed, He fed, He taught. He was revealing that while the people may be seeing one thing, God was surely at work. He is on the move. And, and we struggle with these very same things today. Can there be triumph when it seems to be a lost cause, right? Can there be hope when all we see is despair? Can there be rescue when death seems to be the only door left to walk through? We ask it of the church. Think about it. The church says that they're to love, yet we see separation and judgment. We ask it of the world. God, you're supposed to be all-powerful and good, but yet we see hurt and pain. We even ask it of ourselves. God, why don't I see you at work in my life? I try prayer, I try church, I try doing good, yet I just don't see it. I don't even feel you working in my life. Now all of these phrases have come across my lips at one point in time. I still wrestle with them when I look around. And I know that if you've even slowed down just for one minute you'll ask them to. Now I know that's kind of a long intro, but I think it's really important that we're all looking through the same lens this morning as we consider Jesus' words in this parable. We do in fact struggle as human beings to believe that God is at work. But Jesus tells us a, a, a series of stories, and the first being the one we're going to really focus in on today, uh, but it won't be the only one. So let's read in Matthew chapter 13. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds? they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and put the wheat into the barn. Now, I I want you to imagine that you're sitting on a shore or in a field, and you've just heard Jesus unpack this Uh, description of the Kingdom of Heaven. He's laid down this, it's like. The Kingdom of Heaven is like. And so you and I are supposed to draw a conclusion that our ideas of the Kingdom of Heaven have to be formed by what Jesus is saying. And so he's just talked about good seed, he's talked about fields, he's talked about an enemy who's sown some some weeds on top of the wheat, and, and somehow you can't separate the two until harvest time. And then at harvest the weeds are going to be tossed into the furnace and the wheat is going to be put in the barn. Like, how do you unpack that? Like, wh- you know, you're wa- maybe you're walking with a group of friends. What conversation comes to mind? Maybe you're sitting by yourself and you're just trying to process okay, you said the kingdom of heaven is like, and, and I think it's like this, but yet Jesus used this. Where do you go with this in your head? Now, I have heard different um, discussions about this parable, and a lot of times it's used to describe what's going on in the church. Like, there's the real Christians, and then there's the false Christians, and the way that we're going to know is at the very end of all things. Uh, and, And one of the reasons I think that description has become popular is because the word that Jesus uses is not for a weed that we would think of in our own gardens or in our front yard. My front yard is full of weeds right now. But the the, descripting, the word that Jesus has u- used is actually m- what many believe would be called bearded darnel, and it is a plant, it is a, a look-alike plant to the wheat um, in the Middle East, and you can't really tell the difference while they're growing, but at harvest time, there becomes a very clear difference. Um, the, it produces the, the, this bearded darnel, which is the false wheat, or the look-alike to the wheat, produces this black grain at harvest time, so it becomes very clear that it is not the same as wheat. In fact, this look-alike becomes poisonous, and if humans or animals were to eat enough of it, it could actually kill them, right? Often this parable is used to call out Christ followers and pretenders. Now, should we consider that in our own lives? Yes, we absolutely should. Um, Are we just going through the motions, or is there genuine affection for what Christ has done and a surrendering to that? We should consider those things. But is this where Jesus intends for this parable to go in our lives? Is the field the church? Is that what we're to take from this parable? (laughs) Thankfully, Jesus chooses to explain this parable to His disciples, but before He does, I think He gives us more words to reinforce where this parable is supposed to take root in our heart. So in between this parable and the disciples asking for an explanation, there are two really, really short ones worth reading. So Matthew chapter 13 verse 31, here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches." So here Jesus emphasizes that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a very small seed that grows into a huge plant. Now, in the Old Testament, um, nations, there were were nations considered um, these large plants and and what birds would be able to nest in these plants and animals and beasts would be able to find shelter uh, and shade under these trees. Jesus is pointing to the truth that the kingdom of heaven, while it starts so small, Nations, people from all over the world are going to know the reach of the kingdom of heaven. And then he continues in verse 33. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So here, Jesus is continuing with this, the kingdom of heaven is like. He's saying that even though it starts small, it's going to be very far-reaching, complete permeation. Just like when leaven is hidden in flour, it reaches to every corner of that bread. So will the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God will touch every corner of the earth, meaning there's going to be no corner left untouched, no people group left out of this kingdom reach and work. So, through both of these parables, Jesus is addressing the for sureness, I mean, if that's not a word, it should be the for sureness of the kingdom of God's reach to the ends of the earth. It is, whether it's you, you're thinking it's small and insignificant or whether you're thinking it's slow, it is on the move and one day will be the farthest reaching and most powerful thing we can see on this earth. But right now, we struggle, right? You and I struggle with feeling like, is there any momentum to this kingdom? Is there anything going on? Is God at work? Is He doing anything? This growth seems so slow, like, God, I just can't see it. I don't know that you're doing anything. I don't know if you've asked those questions, but, but I have felt that many times in life in my own personal life, in ministry, in church life. And when you look and watch the news in the world, you go, God, are you doing anything? Jesus is saying that while things may seem super insignificant, just like Jesus is coming onto the scene, being born in a manger where a lot of the world missed it, what Jesus would accomplish on the cross would change everything. In the very same way, the kingdom of God that is growing and has come and is dwelling in us because of faith in Christ, small starts, there's a promise that it is going to touch every corner of our lives and every corner of this world. And then, referring to the parable about the wheat and the weeds, The disciples run to Jesus and ask for an explanation on this one. They don't ask for an explanation on the others, but this one. I I often wonder if the reason the disciples ran to Jesus to get this explanation is because it would help them with their struggle of seeing evil in the world. When an all-powerful and an all-good God is proclaimed and we see evil in the world, we struggle with that. And I bet the disciples did, too. I bet the disciples were like, God, if you're powerful and you're capable, then why do we feel this way when the Romans are around? Why do we feel crushed? Why do we feel persecuted this way? Why do we feel these things if you're at work? Sounds like a very common question. And Jesus begins to unpack this parable with them. Verse 36. Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, Please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil." The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will remove from His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand." In Jesus' explanation, He says that the field is the world. He's not just simply looking within the church or within religious circles. He says that the good seed is the kingdom people in the world. The weeds or the tares planted are the enemies of God in the world. They will both be allowed to share the world until God brings about the end of this age. Wickedness is going to be tolerated for a season, but there will come a time when Christ's righteousness will outshine the darkness permanently. This is good news. And this explanation is what we have to consider when we're processing this parable. Jesus illustrates this this point using a parable to point to something real okay while there are characters in the story that may not be real um, in the story portion Jesus is pointing to a reality he's laying a story down next to something real the farmer Jesus the field the world the good seed people of the kingdom the enemy is the devil the weeds the enemies of the kingdom, and the harvest is the end of the world and a separation." So in the world of illustration, you know, someone does their best to take something, and we use the word like a lot, right? It was like this, and and if I was to say, the sea was like glass, right? You, in your mind you 're going oh he 's not saying that the gla- that the sea was sharp and breakable he was saying that it 's smooth and shiny, just like glass would be right and and it's trying to it, it, I was trying to tell you of the reality I was experiencing by using something we all kind of understand how it works. But if you were to take a piece of glass and hold it next to this this, um, glassy sea, the glassy sea is so much bigger and more than this piece of glass, right? This piece of glass, in comparison, it's it's a lot less than the the reality of the glassy sea. Now, I know we love to downplay Jesus' words about separation and hell and judgment, but the truth is, in His illustrations, specifically this one, the illustration is being explained and it's pointing to a reality. So this isn't just story time with Jesus. Jesus is actually pointing us to what is real. There will be no confusion in the end when all things are wrapped up about Will the kingdom or won't the kingdom? Because we will know the kingdom in its fullest expression. Sin and evil once and for all will be dealt with and the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. We don't like to discuss the reality of these things and we like to think Jesus only taught about separation, judgment, and hell as these figurative, abstract, story type, time, things. The truth is, Jesus steps out of parable mode when He's explaining the truth of the Kingdom of Heaven to the disciples when they ask. The disciples wanted to know, you told us this story, please help us understand why it matters. And it matters greatly to your reality and my reality, and and more importantly, the Kingdom of God and it being revealed. So I'm not sure if you have heard about the Mysterious Benedict Society. Um, a couple of years ago, I started reading one of the books. It's um, And... Uh we were traveling, and so we started listening to the audiobook with our kids, and I was like, man, somebody really needs to make a, a, a show or a movie about this, and wouldn't you know, Disney comes along, and they do, and I'm glad they did because I think it's, it starts dealing with a topic that is really easy to have great discussions about. The story opens, the show opens with Mr. Nicholas Benedict, who is the narrator but also the organizer of this mission that needs to happen to save the world, if you will, and uh, he, he says these words, he says, most people care about the truth, but most people, given the proper persuasion, can be diverted from it. And there is this situation in the world, and they're just calling it the emergency. No one can really put their finger on it, but everyone knows there's something wrong. There, he talks about that there are people who everyday their minds are under attack by a plague of fear and anxiety. And so he's, he's really concerned that this emergency has to be halted before it basically destroys everything and everyone. Now, um, there is a child that we are introduced to at the very beginning. His name is Rainey Muldoon, and he is a kid who is an orphan, and he is being invited to take this test, and you'll see it if you watch it. But before he goes to take the test, he has a conversation with his teacher, and this is how the conversation goes. She offers him some food, and he says, no, I'm really not hungry. I'm just feeling anxious. I guess. I've been waking up a lot like that lately. And his teacher says, well, me too, I, ha- I have also. And he says, it's, it just feels like something bad is about to happen every morning. And his teacher says, well, that's, that's the emergency. And he says, it's like it's all falling apart and no one can help. Everyone's just scared all the time. Everyone is preparing for the worst. And that doesn't help, does it? As she opens the paper, you see the phrase, the emergency. Now part of the genius, the way this show is actually shot, is a lot of the stuff that happens in the background of the scenes. And one of the things that happens a lot is you'll hear radio announcers talking or you'll see little shots of TV episodes or something, or people standing in front of TVs and you'll see the phrase, the emergency. But as they're driving, the radio announcer can be heard as they're talking and he says these words. He says, There is a growing sense of dread among forecasters that the bottom is falling out and that massive job losses and home foreclosures are inevitable. As the emergency continues unabated, the public must prepare for even more financial disruption and chaos in months ahead, as the specter of total financial collapse is... The radio gets turned off. So you kind of understand that as this emergency, whatever it is that's coming through the waves and the signals in the air and the airwaves and the TV waves and all those things, everyone is beginning to see what's going on and they're sinking into anxiety and fear and anger. Here's the deal, as kingdom people, we are to keep our eyes somewhere else. You know, when we don't see how God is at work when we don't see movement or transformation, when we see the opposite of all those things, our hearts remain steady. Not because we're just like, well, we're just going to be strong and, 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 and brave. No, that's not why. It's because while the eyes of the world are looking around, the believer, the kingdom person's eyes, are on the cross. Our ears are tuned in, not to the airwaves, but to Jesus' words. And we trust His work, what we've seen Him do on the cross, and we trust His words, because we are His people. You know, through these parables, the the parable of the the seed to the giant plant, the leaven permeating the entire loaf, and the, the wheat and the weeds, Jesus is reminding us that the kingdom is at work now. You and I may struggle to see it when we look around, but the reason we can know it's at work is because Jesus tells us it is. He, he's the one whose word and whose, whose ways and whose life and whose death and whose resurrection we believe at the end of the day. So even when my own eyes, I'm seeing hurt, I'm seeing pain, I'm seeing despair, I'm seeing the emergency, I can know that God's kingdom is on the move. But not just as that it's on the move, but that it's working within me, and that as kingdom people, we are also at work in the world. And we are at, we're, we're revealing that kingdom when we live as His citizens, as the citizens of the kingdom. And we do that by living as Jesus lived. Not because we can do it on our own to mimic His behaviors, but we have, we have said we surrender to our way of life and Jesus, we die daily, we take up our cross and we follow you, and in doing so our lives will pursue the things of His kingdom, and in that we may see others come to know the King. Right? That's the, that's the prayer, right? And, and, and honestly, I don't know if this, this is how it all ends up working in the end, but the field is the world, right? That's what, that's what Jesus said. And so the reason we live as kingdom citizens is my, my hope, and, and maybe this will make sense, is we want to see, you know, what we believe to be weeds could actually be wheat tomorrow. That's what evangelism is. God is being patient with this, with His return and wrapping up of all things, so that people might repent and so that there might be a turn from sin, the things that cause us to sin, and doing evil, turning to God. That's the invitation for people that are of the Kingdom. We want ultimately the world to know that there is a King and that one day He will set all things right. And everyone that has put their trust in what Christ has done will celebrate that, that promise and that being revealed and no longer will we question whether or not the Kingdom of God is at work. We will see it with our eyes 100%. It's not that we don't see all that's going on in the world around us. We do. We have our phones, we have news, we have the radio, we have the newspaper, we, we have ears, we have eyes. We're not just people living with, head, with our head in the sand. We see those things going on, but we see it all through the lens of the empty tomb, the resurrection, the new life that the kingdom has invited us into. You and I, as believers, are a people strange enough to believe that what the world is showing us does not get the final say. Let's pray. Father, I ask that in these moments, as we have just considered your kingdom at work, your presence at work, Lord, even in a time and a season where we've just... There's probably been a lot of questions about can you do anything in today's world? And the answer is yes. Lord, I pray that we would just be um, a people strange enough to believe that you are on the move and that you are changing things, arranging things so that people would call out to you. Lord, you are moving um, people from, from lost to found. Lord, you are ultimately transforming what we may believe to be weeds. You are able to change that heart into wheat, into fruit, into something that produces good, not producing evil. But Lord, You do those things. You change us. You shape us into Your image. And I pray that as we, considered, as, as we have considered Your kingdom on the move today, that we would know that ultimately, Jesus, as He came announcing it, has invited us to turn from our sin, to run to You, to trust You, Lord, to live as citizens of your kingdom. And we do that when we take your word seriously and we put it into practice. Lord, help us do that better today than we did yesterday. It's in your name we pray all these things. Amen.